Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life, John Paulson. And Paulson, you know we are truly in football season whenever a football game has actually happened since the last time we've recorded. Yeah, and we got a brace for injuries and any sort of news coming out of these games, but uh, it's an exciting time of year. You know, mid-August, things are really starting to, to ramp up. Your draft day strategy article is on the site. Your quarterback sleepers as well is on the site. My team previews over halfway done, continuing to roll out. will be finished by the end of next week as well. And then we'll jump into default rankings to exploit on each site as the most popular draft weekend, the third weekend of August and Labor Day weekend is approaching very, very fast for all of us. But until then, just like last week, let's go ahead and get started here with some training camp news that we've been adjusting for. And I want to start with that Hall of Fame game that I mentioned because Josh Jacobs, with the team's passing game, every important player for the Raiders being benched and healthy scratched because why are you ever going to play an important player in a preseason game? Josh Jacobs started, and he totaled seven touches on the first two opening drives for the Raiders. When asked afterwards, essentially why, Coach Josh McDaniel said, I always think it's good for backs to carry the ball in the preseason. There's a lot of things that happen when you're getting tackled and hit that you can't simulate in practice. And we've seen the fallout from that occasion. Josh Jacobs' ADP on underdog in particular has fallen in the last seven days since that game kicked off from 65 overall to 70. I've taken place as well in FFPC leagues, and I've seen, for instance, Damian Harris now go after Ramondre Stevenson in the 10th round. And personally, I ask myself, when I take Josh Jacobs for ahead of Damian Harris, and the answer is always hell no. So I would think that I actually would not take Josh Jacobs then until the 11th or 12th round, if that. I'm curious on where you stand following a Jacobs conundrum. Uh, well, I've I've been low on Jacobs all offseason, primarily because the, uh, the new regime there, uh, Josh McDaniels, they ran a committee in New England. Uh, bringing over his offense just doesn't see. And also Jacobs has said that he doesn't want to be a bell cow. Like he's actually said that he likes to give up some touches to his backs to keep him, his other backs in his backfield to keep him uh, healthy and fresh and all that. So it just seems like we're really headed towards a committee of some sort. Uh, New England, they have, they always ran, you know, different running backs based on their roles and their offense. And it was pretty predictable in the fact that, no one guy is going to to carry the load, and they haven't for some time in New England. So uh, they drafted Zamir White, and I think that's a, an interesting move for them. They didn't, I don't think they picked up the fifth-year option on uh, Josh Jacobs, so they're not showing him much of a commitment. And uh, certainly you know, starting him in the first preseason game is an, an indicator that they want to keep him super fresh or super healthy for the regular season. So I'm not worried that he's not the starter. Like I'm not worried that he's, you know, not going to have starter or starter touches. I just don't think he's going to have a, as many touches as he had last year. And I don't think his uh, role is as safe as it was in previous years. So I have him at 31. Uh, and to bring a re reference, to your point about Damian Harris, you know, Harris has moved down my rankings too. I have him at 32 and that's a very interesting question. Is it Josh Jacobs or Damian Harris? And I think Harris is, I drafted him recently, but it was like the 11th round. Um, he's he's falling to a point where he's actually a value because he's still the, the starter in New England and has a high uh, touchdown upside. Whereas I don't know if that's you could say the same about Jacobs. So um, that might need to be reversed there, thirty one, thirty two with those two. Um, not 
drafting Jacobs at all unless he's falling way, way beyond, um, you know, where I'm drafting maybe a RB4. Uh, it's just not a guy I've been targeting this season. Reminder, Jacobs also, although he did not finish outside the top 34 running backs in any week, you would think, okay, that's a very high floor he offers you. He also didn't finish inside the top 10 and half PPR scoring on underdog in particular until week 18 when everyone's fantasy season is over. So he also like never won your league. He literally just traded treaded water all season long. And having depended prior on those career highs and targets and catches per game in order to do even that, we expect that role yet again to be taken from him this year with a new coaching staff. Also, of course, they declined his last year player option. So there is no reason, in my opinion, to even take him when he's falling. I, I ask myself all the time, if he's here in this league in the 11th or 12th round, is that considered a value? And genuinely, I don't know if it is. I don't think I would take him there. So that's where I stand. And remember, everything I've referenced on Underdog in particular, it is available at 44.com slash underdog. That is essentially the hub where we keep not only my updated best ball tiers, but all of TJ Hernandez's work on how to win the 2 million and best ball mania three and everything else that Jennifer Eakins, Chris Allen, Sam Hawk, and all the tools that are going on behind the scenes are there for you. Moving on some ominous news. In my opinion, Matthew Stafford is now suffering from what NFL networks, Ian Rappaport describes as thrower's elbow, which is actually reserved for baseball pitchers. Normally we do know per Jordan Rodriguez of the athletic that Stafford received an inflammatory shot, anti-inflammatory shot, in March, but the issue, the injury is still actually lingering. He mentioned that he felt like, quote, I can make any throw I wanted to, but I'm just trying to be smart. And so where do you stand now, knowing that we really don't have a clear picture of this news as of August 10th? Yeah, so for me, this is, uh, I'm not, I didn't move him down at all, but I'm not looking to, you know, reach for him over a Dak Prescott or a Trey Lance or an Aaron Rodgers, um, maybe not even trying to stack uh, at this point in, in best ball where you're kind of stuck with stuck with him. Uh, if he, you know, if he misses a few games, it could be a big problem for you, especially late in the year. Uh, it did. I mean, I think this is maybe a little bit overblown. He did throw like right after they were talking about this elbow and him sitting out and he looked good. He, the arm looked like it had a good zip on it. He's always had a really strong arm. So, you know, even if he loses two or 3%, I don't think it's a, a huge drop off for him. Um, it doesn't seem like they're, Super, super alarmed in that. Um, Your dog, my dog is has alarmed. To say, my dog has something to say about it. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're super, super alarmed about his uh, situation because he's, you know, still throwing in practice. They didn't, sh- they didn't shut him down for a week or anything like that. So, what do you think? My issue is that I have not been drafting Stafford anyhow as a player with no rushing upside, and we know put stats up last year in his age, what, 33 season? Uh, Beyond that, actually, that we don't expect for him to carry over, right? Like a career high in touchdown rate, his third most fantasy points per game for his entire career. And then also the fact that if you step back and look at the bigger overarching picture of the Rams offense, the fact that 80% of their touchdowns came through the air, and that includes Stafford converting five of seven throws on the goal line for a touchdown and 10 of 13 throws inside the five for a touchdown. And so, yes, maybe they do naturally carry over that 
overarching offensive outlook and continue throwing whenever they're inside 10 yards. But I also think that's caused that ridiculous rate of touchdowns through the air for more rushing touchdowns, just to fall forward and average more. As we've seen historically, that's what's happened. I wrote about that in my Rams team team preview, actually, on the site. And so, no, I've actually been avoiding Stafford. Anyhow, what this tells me, the, the light starts blinking and that this news affects Cooper Cup, perhaps, as the overall wide receiver one, and Allen Robinson, who's getting steamed as a wide receiver 12 to 14, depending where you're drafting. And those are the two players I'm more worried about than drafting Stafford, because that means we could draft Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chaser, Stephon Diggs, the overall wide receiver one. We could draft everyone, an abundance of wide receivers over Allen Robinson, if it's John Wolford instead. So I've been handling it differently than everyone. I've been drafting John Wolford as like a QB three or four in deep super flex leagues. I've been in over the past couple of weeks. I've been slightly more timid on Allen Robinson and still taking Cooper Cup, mixing them in interchangeably with Justin Jefferson. But honestly, those are the players I'm worried about. Not so much taking Stafford in particular because he goes in a range where I'm not taking him anyhow. And you could also, you know, at quarterback pivot, if you have an issue in a regular redraft league and you draft and you end up with Stafford you and he's now going to miss four games, you, you have options on the waiver wire and you could stream and, and do some things, but yeah, it, you know, for the guys going in the first round or the fourth round in the case of Allen Robinson, uh, Cooper cup going in the first round, it is a little bit alarming. And if you're worried about Stafford's elbow, then you might want to take a Justin Jefferson over a Cooper cup, or maybe uh, take a Terry McLaurin over a, an Allen Robinson, something like that. I think, Another question at the quarterback front is, is this a situation where we would start to take Derek Carr? I mean, I'm certainly taking Aaron Rodgers over Matthew Stafford. He's my primary target at the quarterback position. But um, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, are, are we starting to take him over Matthew Stafford? Uh, you know, Cousins is supposed to throw the ball more uh, this year uh, with O'Connell that, in that at, uh, uh, head coach. And uh, Derek Carr now has Devontae Adams to throw to. And he's finished in the top 15 three straight years. Uh, but you have a player, Stafford, who I think finished quarterback six last year. I don't think he's top seven or eight um, and should be better in year two if he's if he's fully healthy. Cousins also QB 11 and QB 13 in an offense that ran the fourth lowest rate of 11 personnel last year, three wide sets and the fourth highest run play rate from neutral game script in back to back years under Mike Zimmer. Now we're expecting Kevin O'Connell, who brings over an offensive blueprint that allowed the Rams to finish top five and no huddle and overall pass play rate last year. We expect Cousins to be even more involved. Uh, and honestly, he's a dark horse candidate to lead the league in passing touchdowns. So I do think given this news, it's enough of a concern, especially this early, five weeks until they kick off in week one, that Cousins should be going over Matthew Stafford, in my opinion. Uh, I have him in the same tier right now as Rodgers and Stafford on my underdog best ball tiers, but perhaps I need to actually drafts drop Stafford from that mix and put him closer to Derek Carr like you said continuing on though you mentioned Kareem Hunt you mentioned Aaron Rodgers but Kareem Hunt now let's go ahead and go to that note uh as we know requested a trade over the weekend but returned 48 hours later to practice essentially waving the red flag that he is opting for a hold in and Kevin Stefanski of course responded not being happy, saying that if our players are healthy, they practice. Hunt now back practicing, but that does also can mean that Hunt is disgruntled. Hunt could be waiting for a trade, even though 
you know, if the Giants are only looking for a second round for Saquon Barkley this offseason and can't even get that, I doubt Hunt gets anything. Also, we know that Dearness Johnson was tendered and is on under contract this year as their third string running back who offers high upside in the event Hunt is gone anyhow. So what is your take on Kareem Hunt's situation and are you adjusting anything for it? Well, this was one of those, uh, you know, funny situations that lasted about 24 hours and offered a lot of fodder for fancy Twitter. And then next thing you know, he's back at practice and practicing. So I don't know what they told him. Um, I guess they might have just started, you know, threatened to find him. And he just decided, OK, I'm going to go ahead and practice and just try to get my next contract. Um, or maybe they're saying, OK, we'll look to trade you, but we got to keep this on the down low. Uh, you need to practice. Uh, in the meantime, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think it's probably just like we're not trading you, and you need to play out the season, and we'll go from there. Uh, Cleveland is so tough because we just don't know who the quarterback's going to be. It could be a great high flying passing attack, or it could be um, an extremely run heavy, very um, conservative passing attack. Uh, even if they are run heavy, it doesn't mean they're going to be super productive and be in the red zone a lot and score a lot of touchdowns with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. So. Um, it's been hard to sort of peg where they're the range of outcomes for Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson. I'll just say that this year with Dearness Johnson sort of emerging last year is a very efficient, um, you know, top seven type player in terms of his yards uh, after contact per carry, broken tackles per carry, uh, efficiency metrics. And the fact that when all three were healthy, they were giving him some touches when in previous seasons, it was just Chubb and Hunt pretty much. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried about the, what sort of committee this is going to be. And if the offense can't move the ball very well, how many touches this backfield will see. Obviously, if, if uh, Deshaun Watson is playing a majority of the season, this offense could, is going to be a lot better. And these, there might be enough for two, or th- you know, two of these guys to be fantasy relevant. Um, but I think if it's Jacoby Brissett, then we're, you know, we're kind of in trouble and that's why Hunt's been ranked, you know, lower in my rankings than maybe where he's finished the last couple of years. And uh, I do think though, and I was going to talk about him later, but Johnson, Dearness Johnson is a, a late round pick flyer that could be very fruitful for you if there's an injury to either Chubb or, or to Hunt. Johnson, in my opinion, should be viewed as a player who may have a role in another team. And if that's the case, if he gets cut because Hunt is still here and perhaps they're thinking of extending him, then he could obviously walk into a larger role. Let's say Melvin Gordon's foot injury, for instance, is serious. And now all of a sudden the Broncos are in need of another running back because they really don't have any competition behind those two. All of a sudden De'Aaron Johnson maybe lands there. And so that's kind of the situations I'm looking at when drafting Johnson. Not so much that he needs to earn a role in Cleveland, but he could easily land in a much larger role anywhere else. Also, it's tough for Chubb and Hunt. Hunt, has averaged under 12 touches per game, 11.8 per game, and his last 20 full starts alongside Chubb the past two years. And Chubb hasn't offered anything in the receiving game, just uh, two targets per game and those 20 games alongside Hunt and one and a half catches, adding only two and a half receiving points on average in those 20 starts. So it's a really tough offense to take seriously, even with an elite offensive line, if Deshaun Watson is not around. And right now it seems like that predicament is more so to end in him missing the entire year than it is only six, seven games. So I have a, I'm have struggling to draft any of them, honestly, outside of Johnson, who just has value in the last round. 
yeah, I think Johnson is a good football player, and it's not a bad idea to draft him super, super late. I mean, his his ADP is 200, so like he's free at the end of drafts. And you know, anytime you can add a good a good player at the end of your draft, it's a good idea. Now officially onto Romeo Dobbs, continuing to earn praise in place of Christian Watson at camp. We have NBC Sports Peter King mentioning that he believes fourth rounder Dobbs will have a prominent role early, quote unquote. Aaron Rodgers himself told reporters that every single day Dobbs has made at least one wow play, so much so that the two sat down for lunch on Tuesday to review what minor mistakes Dobbs keeps making that he can continue learning from and growing in camp. Dobbs is actually no longer a sleeper necessarily. Like he's going in the 13th, 14th round. Everyone's caught on, but that's on underdog and FFPC as well. And your home leagues, uh, your best friend probably still has never heard of Romeo Dobbs. Also, those those magazines that I, I do support because my friends do them, they don't have Romeo Dobbs mentioned since they published before camp. So there's a lot of time to still learn who Romeo Dobbs is and sneak him in here. So where have you adjusted him to since he's continued surging in usage at camp? Yeah, there's a big difference between deep sleepers and you know fa- fantasy Twitter underdog drafts and deep sleepers for the home leagues. I mean, there's just it's just a it's just a wild difference there, but um, he's been pretty steadily moving up my rankings. Just starting to think about how this uh, receiving core is going to shake up, shake out. And I th- if you remember, I think we spoke a while ago about you know who are we? If you like Rogers this much, or I don't know, maybe it was a different podcast, but if you like Rogers this much, John, um, who are the receivers that you're going to draft with him, or who's who's? And I was always like, well, I'm just waiting for camp to hear some positive things about how the pecking order is shaking out. And the positive thing has been a drumbeat, a steady drumbeat uh, for Dobbs, uh, the fourth rounder. Um, and part of it's been because Christian Watson's been out with a knee injury. Uh, so he's behind the eight ball, but I don't, I think he was already a little bit behind the eight ball uh, with his route running and just being sort of raw. He's a phenomenal athlete size speed guy, but um, I think this year they were hoping that he could replace Valdez Scantling directly uh, as a deep threat, and he still may be able to do that. But that, as we know, the Valdez Scantling role was not a consistent producer in this offense. Uh, whenever Devonte Adams was healthy, or even if he wasn't, so um, we're we're looking for who's going to be the trusted target for Rodgers. We know he likes Alan Lazard, but we haven't heard a whole lot about Alan Lazard this camp. It's all been Dobbs and. I tweeted out earlier uh, about him going to lunch or the two of them going to lunch and how this is reminiscent of the Cooper Cup uh, Matthew Stafford breakfasts uh, last year that we didn't really know about until uh, the season had started. So it was good to to get this uh, lunch date on the books prior to our drafts. Um, I would say that this is, you know, Rogers does not, Aaron Rodgers does not often talk about rookies or heap the sort of praise on any rookies. Uh, I think in this situation, we could look at it like there's so much opportunity in this offense. He needs to build up a confidence in somebody. Um, or we could look at it like this is the typical Aaron Rodgers. He just happens to see a lot of uh, great play coming out of Dobbs. And, you know, we're starting to view him as one of their starters. So that's where I'm at right now. I think, to, you know, week one as it stands, it's probably going to be Lazard, uh, Dobbs, and maybe Randall Cobb playing in the slot. And if Dobbs is out there 70, 80% of the time, then Rodgers is going to turn him into a fantasy relevant receiver. Um, it, it, unless he just falls flat on his face and starts to look lost, but he's been great apparently in camp. Uh, I guess he had a tough time with Jair Alexander. 
Uh, but a lot of receivers have a tough time with Jerry, Jerry Alexander one on one. But yeah, I've suddenly, suddenly moved, moved him up. He's wide receiver 71 at, at an underdog, and I've got him in the low 60s. I think it's 61. Uh, so I'm, I'm starting to target him there in that 13th round that you mentioned. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit earlier. It depends how my receiving core looks. I may be biased because I have personally been looking for an out to not draft Alan Lazard in the seventh round where he is now at any cost uh, because I don't believe he offers the profile of an alpha to get drafted in the seventh round. He's only there because everyone sees opportunity. Alan Lazard, of course, eight touchdowns and 40 catches last year. Don't think that's sustainable, especially because he didn't do it his first three years in the league, not to mention didn't eclipse 80 receiving yards in any game. So not a player I really trust. But even if he can dominate underneath and still offer value, not good ADP, right? But over the top, we are looking for that kind of profile, and that's the one that Dobbs offers. We're only one year removed from 2020 when Dobbs actually finished third in the nation on air yards accrued on targets 20-plus yards deep. Like, with a career 17 yards per catch in college, this is what Dobbs does, is go deep. So I question if he can learn the routes quickly enough to get on the field often and dominate targets underneath. Maybe those are two separate things as well. But I do think he can absolutely lead this team deep as a Marquez Valdez scaling or even developing Marquez Valdez scaling. And that's what I'm banking on in the 13th, 14th round because that's where he is right now. Or as we mentioned earlier, a truly sleeper in your home league. So that is one player I definitely don't want to leave drafts without, especially if you're drafting six, seven receivers and have room on your bench to stash. Yeah, and the the deep the deep threat thing that you mentioned is interesting because I think his forty time was like four seven, so either he didn't run well or he's his football speed's faster. You know, watching the highlight catches that I've seen, he does a good job of tracking the ball. Uh, you know, pushing off a little bit, but not too much in order to create enough space to catch it. Um, and uh, you know, we've seen him beat a lot of. Uh, defensive backs and the Packers that I don't recognize their number. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see him, you know, start to play in these preseason games to see what, what he can produce. Another player I am stashing would be seventh round running back Isaiah Pacheco from the chiefs because the reports are running wild continues to work with the first team offense in camp, including running routes from the slot and training camp and being used frequently ahead of Ronald Jones. Pacheco, of course, Registered a 43740 at the combine at six foot 215 pounds, immaculate speed for a player of his size. And honestly, that's what the Chiefs were lacking last year in their backfield. They had no one with pop. And so, is this a situation where you want to m- move Pacheco up personally, or do you view this as another version of Darwin Thompson and consider it actually a reason to get ahead of and draft more Clyde Edwards Alaire? I'm not, I haven't been targeting any of these uh, KC running backs. There was a brief period of time where I had some Ronald Jones, but he's moved down my rankings a little bit uh, as well when Jerry McKinnon came back. And I think McKinnon was running ahead of him in some drills and things. So I'm just trying to keep an eye on that pecking order in that backfield. But I, I mean, I think Pacheco is going to make the, the team. Um, but, you know, whether or not he has a regular weekly roles is, you know, remains to be seen. McKinnon was playing ahead of uh, Edward Hilaire late last year. Uh, then they brought in Ronald Jones, who we know has a, a certain skill set, which is run between the tackles, and he does it pretty well. He's not good in the passing game, hasn't been good in the passing game. So he might come in and have that role of six to eight carries, uh, and then Clyde Edwards Hilaire and McKinnon, you know, are splitting the rest of the work. But if they feel like, you know, this rookie has enough juice to that he needs to be on the field, 
we've seen this before, the story before, where you know, a running back, and you mentioned him, Darwin Thompson came in fantastic in the preseason. Everybody's drafting him in the weird, you know, the double digit rounds. They were starting to pick him up, and then he barely played. So, you know, I think this you just caution with that with that. Um, and we, we I would like to see one of these. I mean, I don't want to see anybody cut, but you know, you'd like to see one of these veterans be out of the way uh, before we start really banking on, on, uh, on Pacheco having a, a big role or even a, a weekly role in this offense. And the one I keep coming back to, even though I'm still drafting the dip, is Ronald Jones because on a one-year, $1.2 million deal, it is very possible they just cut him if Pacheco is that important. But also, maybe he's used so infrequently because – we know for his career, he was never someone who was going to run route for the Chiefs or earn targets. They strictly want to use him as a big body back inside the red zone and 10-yard line. And so if that's the case, of course he's being used less frequently on offense because he's not going to be out there running routes anyway. So I actually want to buy the dip and still be ahead of Ronald Jones. But this time of year when people are drafting, it's also good because we forget the last four or five picks in redraft leagues because we – leading up to this point, have done so many best ball leagues. We're cutting those guys anyways, right? So, like, I'm absolutely taking a chance on a player like Isaiah Pacheco, knowing whenever every team cuts down to 53 men before the final week of the season, I'm fully expecting that I'll either have, like, the third or fourth running back on the Chiefs roster, or I can just shed him before week one, use my own waiver wire, shameless plug, that will be out before week one, and then pick up someone else in his stead. So I still take these chances of redraft leagues. And I would say in deep ones, but honestly, I found myself in an industry league in New York, the Flex Leagues on Sirius Radio this past weekend. And I took Isaiah Pacheco in the 15th round of a 16-team league with, with two flexes. So honestly, like I think he's fine as a player. We should be targeting in essentially every format, especially PPR. Yeah, I mean... We, and you don't have to definitely... agree. The no, way. there's definitely a difference between there's definitely a difference between uh, best ball and, and redraft and the types of chances that you can take at, at the end of drafts. Like if you're looking even Pacheco in, in best ball, he might end up on another roster or he might end up paying off, you know, via injury or an increased role later in the season. I mean, it's not, it, there's lots of different ways that uh, like we like we said with Dearness Johnson, if you think the player is good, it's good to add him at the end of the at the end of the draft because, you know, talent finds a way on the field at some point uh, in their career, if not this year. And with that, let's take a quick intermission and then let's come back right back with our deep sleepers and late round league winners. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app. Use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4, word, the number again, and presto. I don't know how many you have, Paulson, but I know I have quite a few terrible names to suggest to everyone. Because when we say deep, I am locked into news. I am locked into camp and depth charts. Uh, of course, all my rookie blurbs were also written for fantasy leagues during the draft on that tracker. You can actually go back and find if you're interested in my initial profile and outlook on these players. So I have all the suggestions of 20-round leagues and 16-round leagues. So I suggest we go one player each at each position. What about that? Eight total players, one each, and I will vary from your normal 12 to 16 round league to deep 20 round leagues. Uh, okay. So one player. So we each have four players total. One at each four position. Players total, one at every position. Let's do that. And these, and these are, these are, 
these are deep sleepers and league winners. Deep sleepers and league winners. Yes. <laughs> All right. I can do it. Let's do Lot, it. Lots of, lots of bad names I'm about to throw out here. Sounds good. I will allow you the floor. Oh, okay. You want me to go first? All right. So deep sleeper at quarterback. Uh, I think Davis Mills is interesting. He was better than uh, advertised last year, better than people think. Uh, efficiency numbers are pretty good. You know, just playing for a bad team and a bad offense. Maybe Nico Collins steps up a little bit. He's got Brandon Cooks, who's good. Um, now, I'm not saying you should start him or try to pick him in a 12-team redraft league, but if you're in a best ball and or a super flex uh, two-quarterback league and you are looking for a second or third guy and you've waited too long, I think Davis Mills is pretty solid. He's going to have some good games, uh, especially with Houston likely throwing the ball more than they want to because they're trailing. Oh, that was quick. I expect you to say more. Um, Davis Mills continues to get drafted, as you said, French QB2, QB, early high-end QB3. But unlike everyone else going in that range, like uh, Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, let's say, even though I do like Baker Mayfield, we at least know that Davis Mills is a 17-game starter. Like, this is a quarterback they're evaluating. So unlike those other players, people are drafting backups instead of Davis Mills. And yes, as you said, performed admirably in his last four games. So that's kind of what we're leaning on. But I just look at his starts and say, well, at least I have a starting quarterback, which, you know, I can't guarantee some of these other guys are in these last few rounds. So I completely agree. Is Now, I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to say it because I, I've been in enough drafts now to know that Daniel Jones' recency bias has taken hard effect. And a player I genuinely think can be a top 15 quarterback, given the offensive change in scheme, right? Brian Dable comes over with the Bills. The Bills last year, of course, ran the fewest sets of multi-tight end formations. Thus, we expect this team with five strong receivers, with Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard bringing in the rear. We expect this team to go five deep, four deep all the time, including Saquon Barkley in the slot. That is their passing attack. Not to mention, when you look at it, you could argue, you could argue the worst secondary in the entire league, which is great for fantasy. So... I genuinely think Daniel Jones and this new offense with a improved offensive line and upside in the passing game with his legs as well, rushing floor, I think can finish as a top 15 quarterback. And so I have always been drafting Daniel Jones as a QB1 and just handling it that way because he's always available as a low-end QB2, and I think that's incorrect. Uh, that's aggressive. Uh, I'm... I can see this is one of those situations where I think you're telling yourself a story and that's okay. Like sometimes these stories turn out to be true and they turn, they work out for you and you look at what Daniel Jones did as a rookie and you want to get back to that because it's, but since then it's been pretty dreadful. 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions as a rookie, 3000 passing yards, which isn't a lot, but it was in 13 games, 12 starts uh, and he can run the ball. So he was averaging like 230 yards passing uh, almost uh, yeah. Two touchdowns, almost two touchdowns per game uh passing the ball and then he also can run he's never run for less than 21 yards per game that was as a rookie a couple touchdowns each year he's got five touchdowns in three years as a runner uh so the upside is there and i can see what you're going for um i my concern with him is i keep seeing these uh, videos of him throwing the ball and uh practice and it's it's frightening like some of these passes that he's making um, but I think that there, you have to also, as somebody who does rankings for a living and has, you know, been around preseason for 15 years, I guess, just watching these videos come out, 
is that you have to take them with a grain of salt because the people posting these, some of them have an agenda and they want their agenda is that Daniel Jones sucks or that Daniel Jones is great or whatever uh, they want to get out to the world. So um, I've seen some really inaccurate throws. I've seen some really throws that have no zip. Uh, so I'm a little worried on that front, but I do think that Brian Dayball is a sharp offensive mind. They do have uh, probably enough talent in the receiving game for him to succeed. And of course he does add that uh, rushing aspect to it. He's not a player I've been targeting at all. Um, I might have him in one best ball or something as a QB2, QB3 type, but uh, I can see the appeal. Because uh, if you squint, you do see like a Konami code type uh, quarterback there. You just have to forget, literally ignore the past two years when the Giants scored the fewest touchdowns of any team in back-to-back years because they were run by Gettleman, Judge, and Jason right. Garrett. You have to completely ignore all of that. So I, I genuinely think for me, it's a buy low opportunity even in qb1 leagues i don't mind hammering out daniel jones and the final round for recency bias taking a chance knowing that in redraft leagues remember we can always cut him and find another quarterback in most leagues anyhow some overdraft quarterbacks but that's the way i've been handling it what about running back for you well we're talking deep sleepers and league winners so i've already mentioned that dearness johnson is a favorite of mine in the final rounds uh there there is a path to him uh having a big workload somewhere if not cleveland um, but you know, I want to, I guess I want to underline, um, and this is not a, this is not a deep sleeper, but it's a, a sleeper that is maybe it's definitely in redraft leagues. Uh, my fireman friend who I talk about once in a while, uh, probably won't know to draft this guy. So I'm going to mention Daryl Henderson, uh, just the, just the, the way and you, and you're feel free to go much, much deeper to a player that you, that I haven't even heard of. Oh, I got some bad <laughs> names for you. Running back. I got a few, I got, a few rounds, I got some names. I've got a few too, but I want our listeners to really start to target Henderson uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, if he's on the board there as your RB3, RB4 type, uh, it does look like the the Rams are going to have some sort of committee. McVay is talking about it now where he's got two starting running backs. And just like there's a couple of paths here for him. One is if Akers just isn't himself and isn't back. There is the list of you know running backs that have come back strong from an Achilles tear is extremely short. Uh, he did come back late last year, but it was woefully inefficient in his running. And I think what McVay is doing is he's hedging his bet a little bit on Acres, and I don't think he wants to overuse him, especially early in the season. If he rotates the two and Henderson's out playing him, then he has an easy way to sort of start to give Henderson a start and give him the the, the lead touches. On the other other hand, if Acres is looking well, then he can start to ramp up Acres towards the end of the season as well. So either way, I think to start the year, Henderson will be in some kind of timeshare, and then he has that upside if anything were to happen to Acres, where we've seen it the first twelve weeks last year, he was RB twelve fantasy wise. So he's proven that he can produce RB one numbers when he's the lead back. And as you mentioned, they threw the ball a lot in the red zone last year, and the rushing touchdowns should increase there for the Rams, uh, and Henderson could be a, a value there as well. I will also note that if Akers falls to the sixth or seventh round, given the most recent news about him splitting first team reps with Daryl Anderson, that's where I want to start buying the dip on him. Like I want to have him over Elijah Mitchell, Antonio Gibson, that little dead zone of running backs, because I think Akers has more touch upside than all those others individuals. My name, I will go soft at first and give you a player that you should draft in the last round of every league. And that is Brian Robinson, because I've come full circle in that I still question his upside and that Gibson is there for low calorie between the 20s carries on early downs. J.D. McKissick, who earned a 15% target share, is still there from last year. 
But Brian Robinson, at least it's been made very clear by Ron Rivera, is going to be used as short yardage and goal line back. And I think he can fall forward for touchdowns. And, of course, if anything happens to Gibson, he's the insurance that would get 15 to 20 carries, albeit in a Carson Wentz-led offense. So Brian Robinson is a reasonable name to continue drafting slightly ahead of Isaiah Pacheco, who I'm also drafting. The terrible name, John, that you're not ready for. It's actually a group of names because I think you can draft either Trey Sermon or Jordan Mason the very last round because Tyrion Davis-Price is one of the worst draft picks happening right now in the 15th round. Tyrion Davis-Price, of course, the argument everyone makes for him is to have third-round draft capital, even though we saw last year the third-round draft capital of Trey Sermon didn't matter at all. Not to mention that we know they want to use three or four running backs given every report coming out of camp. And worse for TDP, didn't play special teams at LSU. Whereas we know last year alone, Jeff Wilson, Sermon, and Jermichael Hasty all play special teams. TDP fumbled three times in his, fall year, in his final year at LSU. And then he also just wasn't explosive at all. Under five yards per carry those last two years at LSU and only 2.8 yards after contact per attempt. And then you look at this 49ers offensive line. Trent Williams makes an argument for himself as the best tackle in all of the NFL. But their interior line includes a left guard who played five snaps last year, a undrafted free agent from 2016 at center, and then right guard, apparently. I thought it was going to be Daniel Brunskill, who allowed the seventh highest pressure rate among all guards last year in the NFL. But actually, a fourth-round rookie who played left tackle in college is beating him out right now. At right guard, nonetheless, transitioning to the NFL, UTSA, Spencer Buford played. So overall, as we learned last year, even though no one is actually learning from their mistakes, right? So they're just making the same mistakes again. You should ignore Tyrion Davis-Price and instead just take the next guy as an arbitrage situation. And so even though I don't like Sermon's profile, again, it's a situation where I can just ignore anyone going ahead of him and draft those players instead. And worst case scenarios, we cut those players after week one. So that's the way I've been handling it. Trey Sermon or Jordan Mason, given the depth of your league, I will continue drafting one of those players. What about Jeff Wilson? Jeff Wilson too. All of them. Okay. Basically gonna, the one who is not being drafted early. So I'm going to just add another name since so I did a league winner with Henderson. A, a deep sleeper, I think, Dante Foreman. Uh, if you're if you want to bet on another injury for for McCaffrey, which nobody really wants to bet on that, but he has gotten injured the last two years. If he sits out again for any stretch, I think Foreman plays ahead of uh, Hubbard. Uh, they, he did really well down the stretch last year for Tennessee, and, and probably you know at least a two down guy there, and maybe a three down player for Carolina. That's a reasonable name that you should draft. <laughs> what about a wide receiver for you? Um, I would say. For like a league winner type, um, and I, you know, league winner is very a loaded term and overused. But I think Isaiah McKenzie is starting to climb uh, up the ADP a little bit. Uh, he's been playing ahead of Jamison Crowder. When I initially did my projections back in after the draft, I had McKenzie ahead of Crowder, and basically everybody told me I was wrong. They didn't like come out and tell me I'm wrong, but I was looking at other people's rankings and Crowder's way ahead of McKenzie. I'm like, am I crazy here? Like McKenzie was really good. Uh, in short bursts last year when he had a chance to get on the field. He also runs the ball a little bit. They get, you know, they do gadget stuff with him. And then slowly but surely, I've, I fell in with the crowd and I put Crowder ahead of McKenzie in my projections. But then I started to see that he was running ahead of uh, Crowder at camp. 
And I started to move McKenzie back up, and it just seems to be more and more of a drumbeat with McKenzie being that slot receiver that was so productive, that role that was so productive for Cole Beasley last year. He's attached to a great quarterback and Josh Allen, um, likely to see seven, six, seven targets and maybe a couple uh, of rushes or maybe a rush per game. Uh, and obviously, there are a lot of touchdowns up for grabs there with Allen throwing the ball. So McKenzie is my uh, sort of my league winner, my 13th round, 14th round guy. I'm trying to to nab there as my wide receiver five, um, who I think will, especially in PPR formats, has a lot of upside. Yep, and we've seen now in two career starts without Cole Beasley, Isaiah McKenzie has averaged a 24.5% target share and 10.5 targets. Like, he is literally out there every time. He, of course, has, as you mentioned, Jameson Crowder, Khalil Shakur to perhaps compete with. But Isaiah McKenzie, given the drumbeat from camp, is definitely a player I keep drafting, even in 16-round leagues. I'll go a bit deeper on that note. Actually, I'll give a quick one that I, I think is fine. Uh, Curtis Samuel, I think is fine. Again, if we're betting on Carson Wentz, I want to deal with the last receiver possible so I can just cut him whenever Wentz is bad. Uh, Curtis Samuel is only one year removed from finishing second behind Stephon Diggs and total touches in the entire league among wide receivers. And so just to get involved as both a scat back slot receiver ability to play out wide as well, I think it's a tremendous opportunity since no one is still taking him. He's available in the last round every single time. So Curtis Samuel, I like quite a bit. And then two terrible picks only for 20 round leagues that I've been taking in deeper leagues. One is Noah Brown. Given that there's no competition, Michael Gallup expected to miss week one. I still question if he's going to end up on the pup list and miss the first four weeks and then be brought along slowly afterwards. So as we know, it's Jalen Tolbert behind C.D. Lamb and then, of course, Noah Brown bringing it up from the back. So he'll at least be out there for a Cowboys offense. We still expect to throw quite a bit. And then a very deep one that no one's taking. So be very skeptical. Uh, I've been mixing in Montreal, Washington and two... Russell Wilson stacks the Broncos fifth rounder who is a chess piece, but more importantly, like his lone sec game last year totaled as a small school receiver, mind you from Sanford still totaled over 140 yards and multiple touchdowns from scrimmage on offense in that better competition game, not to mention ran 91% of his routes from the slot where the Broncos need him after Tim Patrick's injury in his final year at Sanford. So I think the opportunities there He's working quietly with the first string offense in camp as a deep threat because that's what he offered as a as a primary punt and kick returner, an explosive wide receiver um, in the offense there. So, yeah, I, I don't mind mixing him in at all, literally in the very last round of deep leagues. I would add one more deep uh, last round type guy, especially 20 round, like James Proche uh, from Baltimore. Uh you know, Devin DuVernay is supposedly going to be the, you know, that's who everybody thinks is going to be the number two receiver there. But Proch has apparently had a really strong start to camp. DuVernay has been out uh, with injuries back now, but uh, apparently he's making uh, making plays in every in every uh, practice and he's doing stuff. He's a 5'11", doesn't have much speed, but a good route runner. And he's doing stuff all over the field, not just short stuff, but also going deep and making plays. So he's, you know, as the, potential third option in the passing game for Baltimore. Uh, that's, that's not bad for the 20th, you know, 18th, 20th round. And finally for tight end, I'm going to go first because like there are a lot of actually deep league options, dynasty options. that I think everyone should be on everyone's radar. Um, Greg Dulcich, for instance, very deep league as a tight end three tight end four and premium premium scoring. 
given that Tim Patrick's injured and maybe that leads to more 12 personnel out of default for this offense, more multi-tight end sets. Johnu Smith as well, who remember just last year, did get paid more guaranteed money than Hunter Henry, could find his way into an offense we expect to be more pass-heavy. Although Patriots camp reports are basically the only negative reports you can find. And who would have thought, given that it's a Joe Judge and Matt Patricia offense? I thought they were very intelligent play callers. Um, but no, I think the one player who actually adds value as a potential starter and week one starter, more importantly, is Mo Cox. We know the opportunities there. Jack Doyle vacates a team-high 20 tight end routes per game, but also the reports at a camp are great for Mo Cox because Jelani Woods, who we know was only drafted as an athletic specimen, literally the highest athletic score in combine history at his position, but... What I feared was he actually just couldn't play the position. He's just a super athlete. And word at a camp is basically they might as well turn him into a linebacker. He's like the kid who dunks on the wrong goal when he gets a rebound because he wasn't sure how to go. Like that's what's happening with Jelani Woods at camp right now. Always lining up wrong, always running the wrong route. And Kylan Granson, as we know, totaled 15 targets last year and couldn't play over Mo Ali Cox on offense. So no competition whatsoever for Allie Cox with a much better quarterback this year. That's the player I take literally every single time, and I'm more than comfortable even having him as just like a tight end two or drafting him as my sole tight end in the last round, throwing him out there week one and hoping I get ahead of his upside. I love that call. He was uh, my deep sleeper at the position. I have another – I mean, Allie Cox is very interesting because of, I think, Matt Ryan coming into Indy. If you just look at what Ryan has done with tight ends lately – Austin uh, Austin Hooper, 787 yards, uh, receiving 660 uh, in 2019 and 2018. Uh, Hayden Hurst, 571 yards, six touchdowns in uh, the following year after Aust- Austin Hooper left. And then Kyle Pitts, obviously 1,000 yards, uh, receiving last year as a rookie. I mentioned, so I think Ellie Cox is a great call. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you would take him over Austin Hooper, who is now the starting tight end for... Uh, the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they have had a lot of receiver turnover, and apparently Hooper has a nice bond already with Ryan Tannehill. The two have good chemistry, and I think he could certainly be a top, if not the top, red zone option in that offense given the re- receiving personnel. I mean, Robert Woods is not known uh, to be a, a red zone guy. Uh, Traylon Burks is kind of working his way from wide receiver three to the wide receiver two spot, trying to beat out Nick Westbrook at kind. Uh, so I'm wondering about Austin Hooper. I think he's always available extremely late. I can get him as my tight end three most of the time in, in best ball. Um, obviously, he had the two really good seasons with Atlanta and then signed a big deal with Cleveland, and they basically cut his playing time in half. And he shared time with David Njoku uh, and Harrison Bryant, I believe, and just didn't get a chance to, to play full snaps, but I think he's going to play starter snaps in Tennessee and they're going to need him. What do you think of Austin Hooper? I think he's good, but I'm only taking Allie Cox over him because remember this being redraft season, most of the time we only draft one tight end. Uh, that's how we just play the position. We don't waste our roster spot on that because everyone drafts four week one and we want to draft backup running backs, backup wide receivers who get thrust in the opportunity in week one. If there's an injury occurs in the final week of camp, and thus, we don't have to waste our waivers on that. And so knowing I'm only going to draft one tight end if I go this route, I think Allie Cox personally has more upside, a more explosive player than Austin Hooper. Also, I this is the time of year I start looking at week one schedules. And although Hooper's is good, they play the Giants week one, um, 
Allie Cox and the Colts play the Texans. And so I just expect them to run them over. So I do still prefer Allie Cox, but it's very close. And it's only strictly for upside, knowing that we could just end up cutting both of those players anyhow after week one. Yeah, another uh, another player I'd like to mention is Hayden Hurst, who yep. I've mentioned I mentioned earlier as part of this blurb with uh, Allie Cox, but he's now in Cincinnati, high-flying offense. If there's one injury to, Bo- to Boyd, Chase, or uh, T. Higgins, all of a sudden he's the third option in that passing game. And uh, you know I think he's going to even get to 500 yards and five or six touchdowns just by default, even if everybody stays healthy. And good report so far out of Bengals camp for Hayden Hurst. What else do you have coming out on the site for everyone this week? Well, you mentioned my uh, quarterback sleepers, uh, values, and breakouts article, but I'm going to release the running back one next, and I hope to get receiver and tight end out the remainder of this week once we're done streaming this podcast. Uh, I'm excited about uh, getting into the late uh, August and really get into the crux of the fantasy drafts. I got my main main event draft coming up, which I'm excited about. Uh, and hopefully doing a, a best ball draft with you, or, uh, maybe one or two of those, John. Uh, maybe we can uh, get on and stream uh, stream a best ball draft either at uh, FFPC or Underdog, who we love. Underdog, uh, great a great site. Just listen uh, to the show. We love great, Underdog. <laughs> a great interface. Um, yeah, so I'm wrapping up those uh, those articles and then kind of moving on with my month. And a reminder: a lot of us, including myself, are on our way to the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton. So if you're around, you recognize me. One, I'm sorry, but if you also listen to the show, please feel free to reach out. Drinks on me if I happen to see you over the weekend. But until then, until next time, be a little bit kinder than what you find. We'll see you.